0: Is that animal foods, from an evolutionary perspective, from a um, from a nutritional biochemical perspective, provide all the nutrients that a human needs in the most bioavailable forms in the right ratios. So what you get is this like this like potentially perfect human diet coming from eating animal foods, and this runs so contrary to the sort of mainstream ideas around plants.
1: Game of Lifers, welcome back to another episode of the Game of Life Podcast. I'll be your host today, David Nurse, and I'm just warning you here, you better be in the kitchen. You better have your kitchen bib on, your sharpest knife, because we're going to chop it up, and we are literally going to chop it up with an absolute game changer, an absolute one-percenter, biohacking life, Mr. Paul Saladino. Point blank, he might be the most manliest man you have ever met. And it's not just because he's devouring succulent ribeye steaks and egg yolks cooked in animal fat for breakfast. It's because he is revolutionizing what society thinks about nutrition and the right type of nutrition specifically for you. He is disrupting the game and biohacking his health to an optimal level, which you will definitely see on this podcast, and doing so all through the carnivore diet, but not by the way you would think the carnivore diet is being. People have a preconceived notions of being a carnivore, but trust me, in this episode, it will absolutely change your mind and then some. It will literally have you making dehydrated beef livers, stewing up a big pot of bone broth, and eating salmon roe eggs by the spoonful. Trust me, it happened to me. In this episode, Paul dives... Deep into the science of how the true carnivore diet, or should I say carnivore lifestyle, has helped people overcome a multitude of mainstream illnesses, potentially a cancer preventer, and is an absolute game changer for high performing athletes and individuals. Trust me, you do not want to miss this episode. It's going to get your taste buds flowing. And not only is Paul unbelievably knowledgeable, super sciency, and in depth, which absolutely blew my mind, as a functional medicine practitioner that he is, he is also traveled all over the world, studied all cultures, and is super entertaining and full, full of energy. Energy that's probably straight from gnawing on a 24-ounce ribeye steak, that is. Game of Lifers, you're in for a treat today, so grab your steak sauce, grab your man boots, and your sharpest knife in the kitchen, and get ready to chop it up with the legend, Paul Saladino. Buckle up, here we go.
0: I wonder how many of the folks in the NBA have heard about the carnivore movement or the carnivore diet, but I'll just define it for people so they know what I'm talking about. Yeah. And I mean, I imagine that in the show notes, you'll have a little bit of my background, for but sure. just so people listening know who the heck they're listening to, I'm a classically trained medical doctor, you know, interested in functional medicine. I was a physician assistant in cardiology and then wasn't really satisfied with what I was seeing as a physician assistant in cardiology. I was really frustrated by the fact that nobody was doing root cause medicine, nobody was addressing the causes of illness. And, you know, I wanted to go back to medical school to get my MD to have full autonomy to really address, or at least have the platform with which to attack the root causes of illness. And that's what's been most interesting to me. I've never been satisfied from a medical perspective, until I've been able to approach that or at least think about that. And I think that that's, you know, people may listen to this and say, ah, oh, I'm more about performance than I am about medical necessity or medical health, but they're the same continuum, right? Mm-hmm. If you can get somebody super healthy, you are going to optimize them. And the things that I see people with, um, people, You know, athletes are having suboptimal performance because of small degrees of the same sort of issues that I see people with, whether it's chronic inflammation, micronutrient insufficiency, immunologic stuff going on, autoimmunity, you know, poor recovery, poor sleep. This is all the same thing, you know? Mm -hmm. And so there's a continuum here. And obviously, most of the athletes that are listening to this or people in performing at an elite level are going to be, you know, so much higher at baseline, but What is standing between them and truly optimal performance is a lot of the same processes, these inflammatory processes. And so I think that the the paradigm is the same. And so for me, as a medical perspective, from a medical perspective, that was my obsession, was just trying to figure out what the heck was causing people to function suboptimally. And I was seeing people, you know, I am seeing people who are, you know, medically ill. But I've started working with a lot more athletes recently for the same sort of issues. Nice. So, you know, yeah. So it's super interesting. And one of the, the – it was it it's been the last year of exploration on a carnivore diet and doing a strictly carnivore diet myself have been, have been a real revelation. And, but leading up to that was a lot of disappointment because what you would generally see was a lot of promise in functional medicine, which is root cause medicine. And then, you know, a lot of disappointment when the rubber meets the road, like a lot of the things that we say we can do in functional medicine, we don't really end up doing that well. We, it's really difficult in medicine to actually fix the root cause of somebody's illness. And I've always had a strong suspicion that it was related to diet. And, you know, mainstream functional medicine says, oh, you got to eat a lot of vegetables. And I think there's probably even a movement in some of the professional sports teams to say more plant-based But I have just been so amazed at what happens when you go in the completely opposite direction. And that has led me down this whole rabbit hole that I will hope to kind of elaborate for people listening about why you would even think about doing something as crazy as eating zero plants. And, um, you know, it kind of started for me with this this observation. I heard Jordan Peterson Mm -hmm. on Joe Rogan. I heard about his daughter. And in my world, autoimmunity – is what it's all about. Autoimmunity is when the body reacts against itself, and that is potentially at the root of most inflammation and most medical illness, and I would argue that is at the root of most suboptimal athletic performance as well, is some level of chronic inflammation. I've said it before, in yes, autoimmunity. Sure. Right. And so that's really that is really the crux of this. If we can correct that, then the body starts to function so much better. If we can get the immune system from fighting itself All right, welcome back to the Game of Life podcast. We've got Jeremy Lin
1: on. Jeremy, what's going on? The two most important days in your life are the day you're born and the day you find out why. He's like the eye of the hurricane, because in the middle of the hurricane, it's really calm. And so Michael never tried to stop all the madness around him. What he learned was he just got calm in the middle of it. Stealing that pass at Staples, I was like, dude... Uh, (laughs) you know yeah give Kobe a little glance after that what's up
0: uh you want to be that person that when they walk into a room that people are happy to see you
1: talk to me about working with Ronaldo. you helped coach Ronaldo to become a great sleeper a human test tube thank you man I I think that's like one notch up from being a human guinea pig they'll take it in a good Uh, way and I just pray man like I just pray, and I just thank God for for everything. The moment you realized, man, I'm in the NBA. Oh, man, that was from day one. That was the... the The day I got drafted, when I heard my name being called... Buckle Up, the Game of Life podcast coming at you, where we bring to you the the behind-the-scenes lives of NBA players, business-savvy entrepreneurs, and top-level performers in all fields of personal development. The podcast that helps you become
0: the best version of you. So stories like Jordan Peterson's, Michaela Peterson's, or Michaela Peterson had juvenile rheumatoid arthritis, she had essentially crippling joint disease and then found this uh, way of eating where she essentially ate nothing but meat um, really led to this miraculous improvement um, in her symptoms and now she's gotten pregnant on a carnivore diet she had a baby and she's had like complete resolution of her symptoms and her joint pain and she's she looks like the picture of health now, one of the things that I'll note is that my impression of the way to do a carnivorous diet is more of a whole foods, animal-based diet. It's not just muscle meat. We can talk about that. But the overarching idea here, the thesis, my hypothesis, is that plants are not necessarily something that humans should be eating, that they don't provide any unique nutrients to humans. And for a lot of humans, they are actually providing a toxic load, which is weighing them down or triggering autoimmunity and the flip side of that hypothesis is that animal foods from an evolutionary perspective from a um from a nutritional biochemical perspective provide all the nutrients that a human needs in the most bioavailable forms in the right ratios so what you get is this like this like potentially perfect human diet Coming from eating animal foods. And this runs so contrary to the sort of mainstream ideas around plants. And then it's just in the process, we can break it down today, but like it's just a matter of debunking and sort of re examining all these myths around animal foods. It's a really fascinating rabbit hole. See, I would love to go down that rabbit hole because I'm a health
1: nutrition nut. And I'm eating Brussels sprouts every single day, kale salads, spinach, and I've actually started learning more about kale and spinach that it's probably not the best thing and not as healthy as you think it is because they have natural defense mechanisms that are putting yeah. off yeah chemicals in themselves. But it makes a lot of sense when you say it, and the more that I've researched it as well, like plants. If you think about it, our ancestors, probably weren't running around trying to pick up sunflowers and stuff and munch on them. They're trying to hunt down food for survival. Well,
0: it's too yeah exactly. I mean, and we can talk about it in the last month there 's been some really interesting anthropology studies that suggest when they look at the um, then when they look at the nitrogen content in the collagen of Neanderthals and early humans, so people may know this, but you know you know human evolution hominid evolution began probably five hundred thousand years ago. but if we fast forward to about seventy thousand years ago, we have the convergence of Homo sapiens and neanderthals so homo sapiens coming up from africa neanderthals being in europe and there's a convergence there and so 70 80 thousand years ago we have some fossilized remains or we have some samples of those things somehow that we've been able to sample the collagen and what we see in that is a very high amount of nitrogen and the nitrogen in those uh, bones can own that level of nitrogen can only be obtained with high level carnivory when we eat plants they accumulate the nitrogen less so we can go back and get a sense of what our ancestors were eating and on my instagram i talked about this that there have been multiple studies in the last few months that have come out suggesting that early humans and neanderthals had such high levels of nitrogen in their collagen that we were probably high level carnivores and this is really interesting to think wait a minute We've always been told that our ancestors were hunter-gatherers, but probably our ancestors were actually hunters, just like you were saying. Our ancestors are probably just hunters, and this may come from a lot of reasons. If we think about it, it's because one of the main reasons— is that animals provide more caloric density. If you hunt down an animal, you are getting so many more calories with so many more micronutrients. So we're getting more macronutrients and more micronutrients than we're getting in plants. There's just so many more calories in an animal, especially from the fat on an animal. That is where we get our fat macronutrients, our actual caloric load, which we need. And then in addition to that, we get all the micronutrients in the animal. Now we're talking about zinc and and magnesium and selenium and copper and all the vitamins, all the B vitamins and different organs and vitamin A and vitamin E and, uh, you know, all the things, choline and vitamin K2 and those things are found in such smaller supply in such inferior forms in terms of bioavailability in plants that it just doesn't make sense for humans to go hunting plants unless it's a time of starvation. And so we start to develop this theory as humans, our ancestors are probably Facultative carnivores. I believe that humans are facultative carnivores, and there's this fine line between a facultative carnivore and an omnivore. I would argue that an omnivore is an animal for which plants serve a unique role, that they have nutrients that cannot be obtained in other forms. And a facultative carnivore is an animal for which, is, a, is an organism or an animal for which, other animals, uh, eating animals, provides the highest, uh, all the nutrients they need. And that they, but they can eat plants during times of starvation. And I think that's really what our ancestors were doing. And you see this if you look at current indigenous cultures like the Inuit, if you look at the work of Villemar Stephenson um, and some of these other people who have gone and talked to indigenous peoples around the world, it's not uncommon for them to say, we eat plants when there's no real food, quote unquote, around, meaning they eat plants when there are no animals. So we see this like in Indigenous cultures, animals are almost invariably favored as the most uh, highly nutritious and uh, desirable food. But we're so cool as humans. We're so evolved. We can eat plants when we need to. And so it kind of twists the whole thing on its head. It's saying, oh, yeah, like we don't die when we eat plants, but they probably don't provide optimal nutrition. And evolutionarily, they are probably serving a role for humans that is more of a survival role. You know, you couldn't get an animal. You're going to go grab a plant. Now, we can talk about the problems with that, um, but in the short term, it it can sustain us, at least from a macronutrient perspective, from a calorie perspective.
1: Nice. I like this. We're going a lot with this because there's – like veganism is kind of a hot topic right now and even in professional sports or bodybuilders or they're they're trying to show how vegans can function at a super high level and in the NBA, some people have have taken that up and – haven't seen as much energy level. I've had some players that have tried to go vegan, and they just don't can't sustain the energy. So if I'm taking a player, let's say let's say I'm handed a player. So first of all, I mean, obviously, there's going to be a lot of things that go into them, and you're going to have to check what their baseline is on their inflammation yes. and everything for sure. But right. let's say we're going to give them, let's say we've got two players at like the same level, and we're feeding one with more of a plant-based, maybe low protein, and we're feeding one... Strictly the carnivore diet. I mean, from nose to tail, not just the animal yeah. meat and stuff. But we're we're doing the real carnivore diet versus the plant based, low protein. Still, is this guy going to see better results with the protein with the with the animal? Without a, without a doubt. I love dude. it. I love
0: that smile you just had. Too, <laughs> without it a like doubt, dumb dude. that's question, a softball David. question. Without a doubt, I know. Can but talk I mean, I gotta what? throw
1: it up there because NBA is like, oh, the vegans. That's that's the new thing. That's they'll do whatever is. Not necessarily the NBA, but just people in general will do whatever the hot fad is, the hot topic is. Right, right. Quick break in the podcast to bring to you our sponsor, Butcher Box. My taste buds are jumping up and down for joy with this right now. It is literally the best steaks you will have in your life right here. 100% grass fed, grass finished beef, free range organic chicken. If you want chicken, heritage bread pork. I'm a salmon guy and their salmon is fresh and unbelievable. Free shipping delivered right to your door. You can get two pounds of ground beef every month for free or you can enter this sweet hookup code that they gave me to give to you guys. D-N-A to get $20 off any purchase that you have at all times. Check it out. Butcherbox.com If you like meat, if you're a man of the woods carnivore, I like veggies too, but if you just love good meat, check these guys out. Unbelievable. Grass fed, grass finished. Grass finished is the key. They're bringing it. Butcherbox.com DNA at checkout. Okay, hook it up. Let me know how you like it. Taste buds. Will, thank you. And how appropriate is that Butcherbox is a sponsor for this Paul Saladino carnivore infused podcast. It's great. And so is Butcherbox. Check it out and check out this next section of the game of life podcast with paul saladino taste buds let's get ready and let's roll
0: so let's talk about the vegan thing and why people would even consider doing a vegan diet i think that people get interested in vegan diets because of bad science and bad marketing and kind of like misinterpretation of data i think people want to be on a diet that's less inflammatory but if you look at it Meat is not inflammatory. Animal foods are in no way, shape, or form inflammatory to humans. That these nice. are our our evolutionary, the most. These are evolutionarily the most optimal foods we can eat. There is no inflammatory mechanism around meat, and in everything I've looked at, my own blood work, I've done hsCRPs, which is the main inflammatory marker. I've done it six times on myself in the last. You know, eight months that I've been doing a carnivore diet, every single time it's 0.3, which is at the level of being undetectable. And I've done ESR, which is erythrocyte sedimentation rate. I've done fibrinogen. You cannot find evidence of inflammation with me eating an exclusively animal-based diet. But don't it's not just mine. It's all my other clients. I've got tons of clients doing this. People are finding me now saying, oh, I want to work with you as a carnivore because my mainstream doctor freaks out. And I see it across the board. Meat is not inflammatory. So where does this notion come from? I'm not entirely sure where the notion of meat is inflammatory comes from. I'll just say to people that it's mostly propaganda. It's not supported by science. And when we're talking about inflammation, what is inflammation. Inflammation is essentially a series of immunologic signals. It's when the immune system is passing around cytokines to each other and saying, "Oh, there is something bad. There's an intruder here, either it's bacteria or there's a foreign compound that I'm going to react against." And in this in this case, they're going to send out signals like interleukin 6, TNF alpha, and these are cytokines. And so inflammation is a cytokine milieu. It's a cytokine, you know, soup that gets created in your body when all these immune cells are communicating. And so really what we're doing here is we are creating a very low antigenic diet with a carnivore diet and the immune system isn't going to get activated. Meat is not uh, uh, nearly as much of an antigenic, that is a stimulating food to the immune system as plants can be. And we can talk about why that is. But, you know, if you think about it, we are looking at – and I talked about this in the podcast with Ben Greenfield. It's really different operating systems. It's like Mac and PC. Mac is nice. humans. I'm partial to Mac, right? So <laughs> yeah, Mac, right. Is, Mac is humans and animals – So animals are in our same operating system. We are much more closely related in terms of our molecules, in terms of our biochemistry to animals. Plants are a completely different operating system. Plants are like PC, humans, and animals are Macs. And so if we go outside of our operating system, there are so many foreign molecules and plants that our body doesn't use. We don't use plant programming in our bodies. We use animal programming, and we have our own unique biochemistry. So when we start incorporating all these plant molecules, Molecules, it just really confuses the system and it can trigger the immune system. And I would argue it can trigger autoimmunity and low level or even high level inflammation because these plant molecules are not recognized by humans, by human physiology, by human biology. So it's a pretty radical concept. But if you think about it, it kind of makes sense intuitively. Like we are much more similar to a, a bison. Or a deer, in terms of our biology and our biochemistry, than we are to a, a brassic vegetable like a kale plant.
1: Yeah. See, and, and a, I, I really love how you are obviously very knowledgeable in what you do, but able to tie it into these analogies, like the Mac and PC. You putting it together like that made a ton of sense to me, because that's exactly what we are. We are more, definitely more like the animals than we are plants. And for for athletes in, in specific too, I mean you're going to get more fuel. You're going to get more energy if you're burning it off the healthy fats, the higher proteins. But in that – also that same sense, I think a lot of people have the misnomer and I'm sure you've dealt with this millions and millions of times that they're thinking just, okay, I'm just going to pound meat. I'm going to pound chicken breast. I'm going to pound whatever it is. But it's got to be nose to tail. It's got to be like the bone broth that I was telling you that I was whipping up last night. It's got to yeah. be the right kind of meats and the right kind of proteins because then there will be – I mean, obviously, proteins that have—I mean—less just denseness to them to actually be able to use for your muscles.
0: Yeah, it gets to be—it seems complicated at first when you think about constructing a nose-to-tail carnivore diet, but it's actually pretty—it's pretty—it's pretty intuitive. You just want to imagine a hunter, a hunter, killing an animal. Like just out of respect for that animal, we are going to eat the whole animal, nose to tail, and we are going to use every piece of that animal because there are unique micronutrients in various parts of that animal, and there are unique and we need the macronutrients. So I'll just differentiate here: macronutrients are protein, fat, and carbohydrates. We need those to live, and we can talk on a carnivorous diet about how to structure your protein and fat macros. A carnivore diet doesn't have a lot of carbohydrates. So any athlete adopting a carnivore diet is going to have to go through a keto or a fat-adapting phase, which we can talk about. But then we're talking about micronutrients and different parts of the animal. This is probably the most important part of eating nose-to-tail. Different parts of us have different minerals and nutrients in them. And so (coughs) – different parts of an animal are going to need to get eaten in order to get the full array of micronutrients. Just as an example, if we only eat muscle meat, we'll get all the all the amino acids we need, but the ratio of methionine to glycine, which are two of the amino acids in muscle meat, is not the same as the ratio of methionine to glycine in connective tissue like collagen. This is going back to your idea of bone broth. Mm-hmm. So, we know from animal studies and from human studies that this ratio between methionine and glycine is really important and basically the take home there without getting too granular although we can is that if you get too much methionine that can tax your biochemistry methionine is a methyl donor and it can and when we get excess methionine it gets buffered with glycine that can use up our glycine stores glycine is a conditionally essential amino acid but most people estimate that we do not make enough glycine When we're eating excess methionine, if we're eating a whole bunch of muscle meat that's a high methionine food, we're going to use up our glycine. We're not going to make enough. If we're not getting enough glycine from the connective tissue of the animal, this goes back to the idea of eating nose to tail um, when we would have been eating tendons and bones and tissues that had more glycine. If we don't get enough glycine, we can get low in glycine. Why does that matter? Because Two of the very important proteins in the human body are made from glycine, specifically our own collagen. So every bone, every tendon, every ligament, those are sort of important to professional athletes. For sure. And then, and then glutathione and glutathione is our endogenous antioxidant it's one of the major it's probably the major endogenous antioxidant meaning glutathione is the molecule it's a very simple elegant molecule but glutathione is the molecule that our bodies use to sort of manage free radicals throughout the body and if we don't make enough glutathione we are going to be in a world of hurt when it comes to oxidative stress So if we get glycine deficient, we're not going to make enough collagen and we're not going to make enough glutathione because both of those molecules have as part of their structure glycine. Incidentally, both collagen and glutathione are three amino acid peptides. Collagen is glycine, proline, and hydroxyproline. Glutathione is glycine, cysteine, and glutamine. So a third of glycine excuse me a third of collagen and a third of glutathione is glycine that's a really important amino acid so this is sort of the first step of nose to tail is thinking all right if i'm going to eat muscle meat i need to make sure i'm getting some glycine source whether it's collagen whether it's tendon whether it's bone broth but you want to make sure to balance the methionine and the glycine and then if we go further down we're getting into other micronutrients like uh, vitamin a or zinc and copper if we look at muscle meat if someone only eats muscle meat, they will very predictably become deficient in vitamin A, folate, biotin, and they'll get too much zinc, which isn't balanced with copper. So people don't really need to worry about the details. The idea is if you eat your muscle meat, just like if you're if you killed an animal respectfully in the wilderness, you're going to eat the organs. People need to make sure they're getting a source of organ meat like liver you know and so if you look at it, it's a really elegant balance. you know liver has vitamin A. Muscle meat doesn't have vitamin A. Liver is high in copper. Muscle meat is high in zinc. If you get too much zinc but don't get enough copper, you're going to get copper deficient because of the way the body stores zinc and copper. Those molecules, those minerals are stored together in the small intestinal lining. So if you get excess zinc, it's stored in the protein called metallothionine in the gut. That is going to get sloughed off, and it's going to take copper with it. Well, a copper deficiency is a really big problem for people. It can mimic B12 deficiency. It can cause neurologic symptoms. You don't want to get deficient in copper. Too much copper can be toxic, but if we're eating an animal nose to tail, there's this really beautiful, elegant balance. Like we won't get too much zinc. We won't get too much copper. It's just kind of illustrating the whole concept that if we eat an animal, we are eating... We are essentially accepting programs from our same operating system. Our body knows what to do with this. There's an incredible balance here. And if we try and mess with that too much, the program is going to get kind of screwed up at least at the biochemical level. Yeah, you eat
1: the whole thing. It's it's funny you say that too. and I love that you say that because I'm big on eating livers, intestines, anything that everybody else thinks is really gross. And I had one of my players actually telling me that he – In the off season, he hunts and he kills the animals. He makes the Rocky Mountain oysters, eats all of it. So that's like the only guy that I've ever worked with that wasn't just all chicken breast or thinking that you you can't eat the chicken livers but how, how just vastly more nutrient that is
0: it's there are unique nutrients in the liver and you know a lot of people in the carnivore community say i cannot stand the taste of liver and i say okay well let's figure out how to get this yeah. you know how to get you these nutrients you can make liver jerky which changes the texture you can powderize the liver you can get liver desiccated supplements now the dosing is a little hard with a desiccated liver because it's you need to take a lot to get enough liver but but I think it's really important to to get the liver and to get some of these organs liver would probably be the most important one in my opinion heart is unique as well but heart is kind of like muscle meat so mm-hmm. heart has a little more coenzyme q10 a little more riboflavin but liver really high in choline, really high in vitamin K2, really high in copper, really high in vitamin A, a really good source of folate. You got to eat the liver with your muscle meat and try and mimic this. So, and then, you know, if you go further down that like nose to tail thing, we can talk about omega-3s. Yep. You know, if you eat the brain of the animal or the bone marrow, oh, you're yes, going to be getting yes. omega-3. And it's not that your players need to eat brains. <laughs> it's just that they need an omega-3 source. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, And I'm not a big fan of fish oil pills because a lot of them are oxidized. I usually tell my clients, you want to get a food source of omega-3. You either got to eat wild salmon or salmon eggs or you want to eat bone marrow and that is going to be your good source of omega-3. You also have to have an iodine source. So most people need to have some sort of seafood in their diet which isn't really a hard sell for people. You just want to make sure the seafood isn't high in mercury. But so we start to construct this diet that looks like, okay – I'm going to eat a steak. I can tell you what I eat in a day. That might be. I would love to hear, hear that. I was going to say that. And also, I, I love how passionate you are about it. And I, I really
1: respect people that actually live what they preach. And you have yeah. super high energy. I'm looking at you. I've stalked you. I've studied you. you <laughs> have, you're in great shape. So talk about. I <laughs> got abs, bro. <laughs> I know you do. I know. Wait, so there's so talk a lot about, of doctors with abs and <laughs> it, 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 it sells it's like man this guy's doing it okay I'm gonna do it like you know if you came yeah. on here and you were 400 pounds you're like I'm eating meat well, I probably think you're eating Big Macs from McDonald's but like, you live yeah. and breathe it which I have a ton of respect yeah. for
0: so yeah. Talk yeah. About I'm not exactly an NBA yeah. body you know hey. I'm, I'm 5'10", 170 but, height, you know, height is something muscle. we haven't figured
1: out we can't hack height yet I mean, I'm gonna hang yeah. my kids <laughs> by their toes and stretch them out and see if that works but until then yeah talk about what you eat, and then also how how you've seen it change in your life from when you started to do this. I don't even like to call it a diet. I hate diet's lifestyle.
0: yeah, it was a lifestyle. it was yeah. a conscientious it was a conscious choice toward uh, you know an experiment that ended up being something that I really enjoyed and and feel really optimal with. so like I said, you know uh, I heard Jordan Peterson talk about it. I heard Michaela Peterson talk about it, and I thought, oh man. Autoimmunity is one of the hardest things for me to treat as a physician. Um, you know, I'm classically trained in psychiatry, but I see the person as kind of whole. So mental health stuff's really interesting to me, but I think of it all as connected. And I don't think of myself as a psychiatrist, just a physician that wants to, you know, think about people as a complete organism and how all the systems are connected. But, you know, I thought autoimmunity is at the root of everything I believe. In medicine, most of the chronic illness is autoimmune and inflammatory. So when I heard about this, I thought, okay, I want to try this. I did a little research. I thought about what I was interested in in the past. I was familiar with Weston A. Price, you know, the work of people like Chris Masterjohn, who I think is awesome, yep. and kind of this idea that like. In, in Weston A. Price's observations, he was a dentist in the 1930s and 1940s, he had seen indigenous people doing all these things, eating the fat-soluble nutrients. You know, they had he had they had some sort of animal fat. They ate the organs, and they all ate a little differently, and some of them ate non-animal foods, a lot of them ate non-animal foods, but he could even compare, you know, the people who um, ate animal more animal foods. So the people who ate less animal foods, there were tribes in Africa, and you could see that the tribes that ate more animal foods were stronger and often more dominant. I mean, the Maasai, you know, this like warrior tribe that basically had to be cordoned off because they were so dominant, and they basically have a carnivorous diet. You know, if you look at the studies of the Maasai. Their diet is essentially zero plants. I mean people can make an argument. They have a few herbs here and there. But it's mostly animal products in the Maasai's diet. So I got interested. I dove in and I started doing this for myself. I started you know, a couple of iterations of eating a full whole foods animal-based diet, nose the tail carnivore. And I'll tell you what. Within the first week, I noticed a difference in my mood. And I didn't even feel like I had a problem with my mood. Right. And I just felt more positive. Nice. I felt more I just felt more resilient emotionally. I felt more centered. I felt more zen. Man, I felt like a zen that came over me when I stopped eating plants. And it was completely unexpected. Um, I didn't know what I was going to feel, but I just felt better. And then I, you know, there was an adjustment phase. And I think anyone that's going to do this is going to have an adjustment phase. You're going to go through a keto adaptation phase, a fat adaptation phase. So in terms of performance – I would say that for the first month or two, I wasn't quite up to what I was doing before. It wasn't horrible. But within a month or once about two months after I started and I got keto and fat adapted, my performance in the gym is better than it's ever been. It's no different. I don't have any problem with like intense quote-unquote glycolytic activity there have been lots of studies by finney and Bolex group there was a study called the faster study that showed that on keto adapted athletes they have the same amount of glycogen storage and replenishment as people on a mixed diet so even though i'm not eating any carbohydrates i still have glycogen in my muscles and it gets stored and replenished at the same rate so anyway the only reason i mentioned that is from a performance standpoint i think if people switch over this way they should do it like in the off season or something you know get ready You know, so then you get adapted, and then you're going to kick ass during the regular season. Because if you do it during the season, who knows? You'll probably be okay, but there's sometimes an adaptation period in terms of how, how you feel and performance. But the biggest thing I noticed for me were the mental benefits, the clarity, the emotional resilience. I was just a happier person. And then I also had eczema. So that was a big reason that I wanted to do the diet was because I'd had this kind of nagging eczema, which is an autoimmune skin condition. And once I did a few tweaks in the diet, the eczema went away completely. I've not been able to achieve that in a decade prior with all sorts of paleo and organic diets and all sorts of elimination diets. So it's been really cool to see my autoimmune condition go away and my mood improves so much and it really mirrors what I've seen in, in clients that I'm working with. I mean, I've seen clients with ulcerative colitis have ulcerative colitis resolve, you know, people with all kinds of incredibly difficult to treat things that get better when they change this this way. And I can talk about what I eat. Man, yeah, well. do.
1: But I mean, that literally like you get more energy, you have better performance, you have better mood uh, I'm guessing you probably have better sleep. You just feel better all, all over, just based on making that shift. And most people do. And then people talk about libido, and so you know, why do people steer like? Yeah, t- tell me what you eat first. I'm really interested in this. I want to. Yeah.
0: Well, what's your question? Then what's the follow-up question? Why would people not do it? Why would people not do it? Super cliffhanger
1: mode. Yeah, you're going to have to tune in next week to the Game of Life podcast to hear all about what Paul Saladino eats on a daily basis, how he gets the most energy, nutrition, everything from the carnivore diet. But you got to tune in next week. And just a big time thank you to Paul Saladino for coming on the Game of Life podcast and slicing up some steaks with us. I'm going to go link up with Paul, and we are going to have a massive steak cook-off, and I'm going to eat myself into a food coma, but I'm going to do it optimally because I'm on carnivore with him. But hey, it might not be right for you, but it might. It could be something that changes your life and you could have learned that right here on the Game of Life podcast with Paul Saladino and that's what he's doing. I follow him on Instagram and every single day there's somebody sending him something, how that he is changing their life, helping their helping their health and their overall happiness. That is what a one percenter is about. We are super blessed. We all have talents. We all have abilities. Paul's is a, just a great mind and he has has figured it out. He's figured out how to live each day to the most energy, uh, just the most positive mindset that he can have. And he's done it a lot through the carnivore diet. And so can you. Everything Paul talked about will be linked in the show notes. Check it out. Take a screenshot of this podcast, shout it out on Instagram what you liked about it. Give Paul a shout out, give me a shout out, and go scroll down and give the review. If you can, five-star it. I'll, I'll make you a steak. You give me a five-star review, I'm coming to your house, I'm making you a steak, and I'm done eating it. No, but if you could, it'd be great to scroll down the podcast, five-star, or one-star if you think it deserves one-star, and let's just keep growing, Game of Lifers. Let's keep learning. Let's keep growing, because I mean, that's what life is about. It's a journey. It's an adventure. We should enjoy it. Share it with others. Why keep it to yourself? I want to keep getting amazing guests like Paul on this podcast. And to do so, it all comes down to you guys. So Game of Lifers, go out there. Have an amazing week. Bless somebody this week. Pour into others and you will fill up. Remember, life's a journey. Enjoy it. David Nurse, Game of Life, signing off.